every journey to motherhood is unique. Some of us have more difficult paths to navigate, while others follow the straight and narrow, hitting bumps further on down the road. Hi, I'm Sonia. I'm a mom whose journey to motherhood did not come easy. Here at Coffee and Grace, we have open and honest conversations about motherhood, provide hope to those who are anxiously waiting to become a mama, and a community where you can truly feel safe to speak your truth. The conversations here are honest, true, hard, and beautiful. Go find your coffee. Welcome to Coffee and Grace. And remember, you're not alone on this journey. Hello, and welcome to the Coffee and Grace podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Brown, and today is episode one of a six-episode podcast series called Journey to Motherhood. Every journey to motherhood is unique, each so compelling. Some of us have more difficult paths to navigate before reaching our final destination, while others follow the straight and narrow, hitting bumps further on down the road. For all of us, however, motherhood is a roller coaster that brings inexplicable joy and unavoidable pain making us feel as if our hearts might leap right through our chests. To celebrate all of motherhood, we at Coffee and Grace are giving opportunities to women in this community to share their personal stories. Today, I am joined by Amanda Bowles from Ventura, California, and I can't tell you how honored I am to have her on the Coffee and Grace podcast. So welcome, Amanda. Hi, and thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here today. I know we have connected on Instagram and got to know each other. And I'm so thankful that when I put this opportunity out there that you reached out to me and agreed to be so brave and vulnerable to share your story. And I know you share your story very openly as well um, on your social media page. But I'm really looking forward to hearing you speak about your journey to motherhood. Yeah, I'm excited. So our journey has been a little different than most. We have been married for 14 years and have been foster parents for 12. And that's kind of where our journey has started. So I have been married for 14 years, like I said, and we have always wanted to be parents. We got married early. We wanted to start a family early and um, it just didn't happen right away. So we both had this desire to do different things. I wanted to adopt since a little girl and my husband wanted to be a missionary. And so we jumped full force into foster care when we were only 21 and 23. Um, and so we did that for 12 years, like I said, and then five years in is when we started adopting, but sorry, not, but, but, um, we live in the tiny beach town. We, my husband works full time. Sorry. I'm like, what else do you want to know? (laughs) Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so now we have a total of six kids. And as the story goes on, I'll tell you kind of their story on how they came to live with us. But Kay is our oldest. She's 16. Cullen's 12. Penelope's eight. Jonah is five. Merrick is four. And those five were actually all adopted through foster care. And then we actually have one baby who turns two in two weeks. And he is thanks to the miracle of IVF. Wow. You are a busy mama, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Very busy. And I just find your story so fascinating. The fact that you started fostering at such a young age, which I know you'll, you'll speak to a little bit more as we get going, but that's really just quite amazing. I'm interested to hear more about that, but 
I know I speak a lot on this platform that there are a variety of ways to build a family and my own personal journey to motherhood is a great example of that as well. And so is yours. So I know you talked a little bit about um, five of your children were through foster and then you've eventually adopted them. But I want you to just to go into a little bit more detail about your journey to motherhood and how that really came about and what that process looked like and how you became blessed with the children you have. Yeah. Okay. So like I said, our journey started really young. We wanted to find a way to honor both of our desires of adoption and being a missionary. And so we jumped full force into foster care, but then we realized really quickly, like the need for something called emergency foster care. So we honestly fell in love with that idea where we just would foster kids straight from the emergency situation they were coming from. Like we would go to the police department or the hospitals and pick these kiddos up. And so we did that for five years before even adopting or um, trying any for infertility venues. And so Mm -hmm. after doing that for five years, completely out of the blue from a friend from our past, like we hadn't seen her in years called me and said, I have this baby girl. For some reason, our county can't find an adoptable home for her. They've been trying. They cannot find one. Um, And as I was praying, multiple friends that I talked to said to call you. And so I was like, what? Um, Mm -hmm. And so we agreed to meet this baby girl. We, my husband very blatantly said, we are not adopting, but we will meet her. His famous last word. (laughs) Um, Yes. And we went to meet her and he's the one that was like, oh yes, fully fell in love with her. And so she lived with us the next, she moved in the next week and we ended up adopting her 18 months later. Wow. So how old was she, Amanda? Was she like a newborn or was she a few months old? She was four months old. Yeah. So my friend picked her up from the NICU when she was eight days old and then we got her around the four months old. Yeah. And then you fostered her for 18 months before you adopted. Correct. Yeah. Her case was straight adoption, but it just took us a while to get all the adoption stuff. As we all know, that's quite the journey Mm -hmm. itself. So it took us Mm -hmm. over a year just to get our home study done and everything ready for her. And so I just want to ask you a question. You, you also fostered for years prior to that. And so what were the ages of those children? Was it a variety? Did you have mostly small children in your home? Did you have older? Yeah. So it was quite the variety. I think at that time our license was zero to 10. Um, but because I had experience with drug exposed infants, uh, we took a lot of drug exposed newborns in that time and kind of helped nurse them back to health and then would give, uh, help reunify them with mamas or relatives. Okay. So that was kind of our specialty. Yeah. Right. Okay. No, that's good. I just was curious about that. Yeah. So you have this new precious baby, you've adopted your daughter and then what happens next? Yeah. Well, well, so in the meantime of that year, and part of the reason it took so long was because during that time when Penelope was about six or eight months old, we found out there was a little girl in our town from Ethiopia. She was adopted, brought back to the U S and then through some sad events, wasn't able to stay in the home she was in and they were frantically looking for a home. And so we ended up taking guardianship of this little eight-year-old girl that knew no English. (laughs) Um, she had only been in the U S three months at that point. And so 
during that point, we took on guardianship of her. So that is now our 16 year old. That was over eight years ago. And so, yeah. So then we were just kind of learning how to talk to her there. There was many months where we just used big hand motions and yelling at her Mm -hmm. as if somehow she would pick up English. (laughs) Um, and so we are just following on our path with these two girls and right before Penelope's adoption. So about six weeks before we are finalizing everything. And I got a letter in the mail that said Penelope's biological brothers were being adopted. Cause I guess in our County, they have to send letters to any living, uh, sibling. Okay. And so we got this and we had actually been trying to find them. Our adoption worker didn't really know where they were, who they were. Mm -hmm. And it turns out their cases had been separated because they had different last names. Okay. And so we, none of us even knew they were up for adoption. But then once our worker like looked into the case, she was like, listen, they are in a great home. They're doing amazing. I know that you're bummed, but let's just try and open adoption with this family instead of ripping them and like moving them again. So that is what we did. We actually still have an amazing relationship with the brothers to this day. But when the adoption worker was like, well, you never told me you want a brother. I said, well, what? She's like, let me tell you about this little boy. And so she had a little boy. He was five years old at the time. He had been in foster care for three years at that point, and they couldn't find an adoptable home. And said, listen, he's been deemed unadoptable. Is there any way you would consider this? Mm. So uh, without hesitation, we said, yeah, of course we'd consider it. And then we went to meet him, fell absolutely in love with him. He is the cutest, sweetest, most vibrant, redheaded little boy you'll ever meet. (laughs) But then after we met him, she says, okay, there's, there's little more that I haven't told you. Okay. I'm going to let you read his entire case file, but you are not allowed to make a decision. Yes or no. Based on his case file. There's some scary things in there. There's lies. Mm. Everything about this little boy's life is in here and you cannot make the decision based on guilt from reading it or based on fear from reading it. Okay. Which was probably one of the hardest decisions because you read this and you're like, do we run for the hills or do we say yes, simply based on this kid who's been deemed unadoptable? Um, Right. But after praying and like realizing we love the kid for who he is, we said yes. And he moved in with us the week of Penelope's adoption. So I always love, like, if you looked at Penelope's adoption Mm. pictures, you're like, wait, she was your only child, but you have all these other kids. So (laughs) right. By the time Penelope was 18 years old, we technically had three kids, but Penelope was the only one adopted. Um, Okay. Okay. And then, so yeah, so we fostered Cullen for the next year and adopted him a year later. Kasanet, uh, we had guardianship of her for eight years, but unfortunately, due to so many legal issues and so many even birth date issues, we had to like find a special lawyer that could change her birth date. Um, it took us eight years to adopt her, and we actually just adopted her a year ago. Wow. Okay. So what I'm hearing is a lot of like you had adopted children in your home and then you had also you were caring for like fostering other children as well. And then adoption sort of those children happened 
during that time. Is that right? right? Yeah, correct. So we, yeah. So it wasn't really in chronological order. You didn't foster a child, then adopt them and then foster another child and adopt them. It was kind of a mix of all of that all at once. Exactly. It was kind of all over and it was completely out of birth order. Every, yeah. Penelope, we always joke, has been the only child, the oldest child, the youngest child, the middle child. (laughs) (laughs) Right. She's been it all. Yeah. So then we have those three and we just parent them for a year. We are good for an entire year. And then we just start feeling like God has a baby brother for these three. We didn't know what it looked like, Mm -hmm. where he was. Um, So we just started praying and then... I just called our adoption worker and said, Hey, if there's a baby boy right now, we're good on the older children, um, call us. And so I would say maybe a month or two later, they called me with what they call in our County, a bypass baby. So this baby was in foster care, but was not going to become part of the system. He was going to go straight adoption. And because we were one of the only home study ready families, they were calling us first. And so we said, yes, immediately. And so he was our only baby where he was a newborn. I picked him up from the hospital. And my favorite story with him is that I walked in looking good because I hadn't given birth and they made me get wheeled out as if I had just given birth. And I'm holding this newborn, apologizing (laughs) to every mom on the maternity ward. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, yeah. And so in walks Jonah, we got him at two days old. Like I said, he was a straight bypass Mm -hmm. case. So his adoption was final within 10 months, which is unheard of in foster care. So, okay. Yeah. So we had our four and we thought we were completely done. (laughs) That's not the case. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We stopped saying that in our house. Um, We thought we were done. Jonah was almost two when we got a call completely out of the blue that one of our kids from six years or four years prior, when we were doing emergency care, was back in the system and his birth family called and said, we don't know where he is. We were hoping he was with you. If he's not, can you please find him and get him in your home? Wow. So that threw us back into foster care. We didn't even have a license at this point. We were unlicensed. So the County like quickly did an overnight license for us and we welcomed him back into our house. So that threw us okay. back into foster two care years later, two wow. years later. Okay. Uh, yeah. So we fostered that little boy for 15 months after he went home, we realized, well, now we have an open bedroom. We might as well just keep our license open. The famous last words, right? Um, uh, yeah. And so we started fostering again. We had a couple emergency care babies. Like I said, that's really our favorite. And so once they went home, we got another little boy. He was 18 months at the time and we were his fifth placement already. And he'd only been in the system three months. Okay. And so we fostered this little boy for six months. We were working with his birth mama, helping, her reunify and then his case drastically changed and he went his case went to adoption um and just because of we had a novice social worker who didn't really understand how the system worked she kind of brashly quickly sent him to a relative that chose to adopt him um and she did it kind of in unkind ways and we realized 
like we didn't want to be treated like that again. And unfortunately, sometimes that does happen in foster care. And so we started thinking like, is this what we want? Like, do we want to foster anymore? And it really made us second guess the past prior 10 years. Um, And so in that time, while we were helping this little boy go home to his new forever family, we both had this burning desire to now have a biological child. And I guess I should back up that this whole 10 years, we never fully tried to have a baby, but we never prevented it. So we had a feeling something was wrong because at this point, 10 years without an oops baby is pretty unheard of. Right. Yes. So we were like, well, we know we have to go to a fertility doctor. Like we're losing this little boy. We feel like this is the time we've given foster care 10 years at this point. Um, and so that was April of 2017. We found out that after doing every test and I'm sure most of your listeners have all done the same test. Um, everything kept coming back fine. And so I was getting worried, like, Mm. what's going on? I've done every test under the sun for an entire month. And then after that month, we found out that we had severe male factor infertility. Um, Okay. And we only had a 0.1% chance. So basically, without IVF, there was absolutely no way we could get pregnant. Right. Right. So we jumped full into IVF. We were like, well, if we're going to do this, we just did all this testing. We might as well jump in. So our little boy left on his second birthday, which was also the same day we started the IVF process. Okay. We, um, I'm not sure how we had such like a smooth IVF process, but we did our retrieval, our transplant, all of it within three weeks. And I know, I don't, I have no idea how it was so like smooth. We ended up with five embryo or five eggs, three fertilized, and then two made it to day five. So we were left with the decision. Do we implant one or do we do both? And we chose to do both. Mm -hmm. So sorry, there was a little break because there was a little person looking at me. Uh, (laughs) No, that's okay. (laughs) uh, So at that point we implanted both. We were still grieving the loss of our sweet boy and Mm -hmm. found out two weeks later that we were pregnant. And there was a suspicion that it was with twins because my numbers were so high. Um, And so my numbers were high. We just kept checking, still high, still high. And then at seven weeks, they decided, or six weeks, we did an ultrasound and found out I, I was pregnant with twins. At that point, though, one of the twins was significantly smaller, uh, and they weren't sure why. They weren't concerned. They just said, come back in a week. We're sure it's nothing. Maybe it's just a few days behind. So we wait that entire week, devastated, scared. We weren't sure what to think of it. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. I, I spent more time Googling twin ultrasounds that week than I mm. should have. I believe it. So our appointment was the next Tuesday at 2 p.m. At 1 p.m. that next Tuesday, we got a call that our little guy, um, the placement had not worked out. And if we would be willing to welcome him back. No. Yeah. (laughs) So without hesitation, we totally said yes, hung up the phone. And I was like scared out of my mind because I'm Mm -hmm. pregnant with twins. Now we're bringing 
bringing a two-year-old in, still have my four others. But I was like, well, we're going to do this. I called my mentor sobbing, like, what do I do? And she's like, you need to stop crying first. Second, you've done so many other things. Like, we can't let this worry you. You need to be thankful that the little boy you love so much is coming back. I'm like, okay, okay. Then she's like, and you need to get it together because you have an ultrasound in 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So we race off to that ultrasound appointment. Oh, gosh. And we found out. So this is where our story gets crazy, amazing, sad, all in one second. We unfortunately lost that second twin. And we found out that day. So in a matter of one hour, we gained a son and lost one. Oh, my god. Yeah. So that's like that story, like, really... I still like look back and it gives me chills. I can't believe like how God's timing worked in that whole thing. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening today and supporting the Coffee and Grace podcast. Building this community has given me so much joy and I can't thank you enough for being here. Motherhood can be hard and for many of us, the journey to motherhood is often an uphill battle. I truly believe we are better women and mothers when we stick together. If you are a mama or anxiously waiting to become a mama, I hope you always feel connected, loved, and supported in this community. If you are enjoying today's conversation and want to ensure you never miss an episode, please be sure to subscribe or follow the Coffee and Grace podcast. Also, I'd love nothing more if you could leave me a review and share what you think. Your feedback is so, so valuable to me, and it helps me when planning future episodes and to ensure the content I am creating is exactly what you're looking for. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. I'm so glad you're here. Then we had, so Soren was born six months later at 35 weeks, and Merrick Merrick was the little boy this whole time. Um, and he was adopted the next year. Wow. (laughs) Incredible. Wow. So on that note, thinking about that's, this is your fat, what an incredible story. I just amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. But, and I don't know if you could probably pinpoint one piece of this story, but if you can think about it, um, that journey that you went on, what would you say would be the, was the most challenging part emotionally and mentally about building your family? For me, definitely is trying to just trust the process. I am a control freak. I'm a control freak to a T. And so it's incredibly hard for me to like sit back and be okay with all the uncertainty. Foster care is just one giant ball of uncertainty. Infertility was and so just choosing to trust it and allowing Jesus to take the wheel and be okay with the outcome, whether it was bad or good. And so that was probably the most taxing on both my mental and emotional states. We have this joke in our house. I that, can, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I can totally relate to that. That would, that would have been my similar response as well. Yeah. The like, lack of control. Like when I, people just were like, Oh, we decided to get pregnant and we did. I'm like, I don't even understand that. (laughs) Can't even comprehend that way. Hey. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, we always joke that 2017 was the year Jesus continually asked, how much do you trust me? Because we were Mm. faced with the most hard battles. Like we found out we couldn't have a baby on our own. We found out we were going to lose one of the children we loved as our own. And so 
But every time we were like, all right, Jesus, here it is. Take the wheel. Every time it was turned out far better than we imagined. Isn't that the truth? Hey, and it's hard to understand in the moment when you're going through it. And it's hard to explain that to people going through it to say, just trust the process and to relinquish your control and everything will work out. But once you've flip to that other side and you can look back, it's oftentimes you realize that, yep, there is a bigger and a better plan. Oh, than for I sure. Ever yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are so many parts of motherhood that you love. Um, but if you could think of your favorite part, what would you say is your favorite part about being a mama? I would say it's just enjoying all the little moments. I feel like we waited so long for this, even though we were parents for technically 12 years, it took five years or six years before we had a baby that was 100% ours. So I feel like we just love the little moments, like taking, having bath time every night or like having dinner all together, or even like laughing at our teenagers drama, like just the little things that you'd like take for granted when it's easy to become a mom. Yeah. I love that. That's really great. That's just those simple moments, right? It's not the big grandiose things. It's just those simple everyday life with your children is so special. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So do you have any advice or sort of words of encouragement to other women going through their own difficult journey to motherhood to sort of encourage them to persevere through it and provide them sort of hope? My biggest thing, like I said earlier, is to continually hand everything to Jesus. I know it's so hard when you have no control and it's so hard to trust the process, but just to continually hand it to Jesus. The other thing is to always find friends who are in the same walk as you. I don't think I would have survived without my best friend. My best friend also was a foster mom, also adopted, also like had her own struggles to get pregnant. And so To be able to have someone right there with you that knows what it's like probably was one of the biggest gifts of this whole journey that I had. And when all else fails, Mm -hmm. go get your favorite pint of ice cream and a glass of champagne. That also helps. (laughs) (laughs) If all else fails, ice cream to the rescue. I really like that piece about how you said just to try to find someone who is going through a similar journey or a similar walk of life with you. And I know when I went through my journey, I really didn't have a connection with someone else going through something similar. And so when I'm speaking with other women or trying to support women going through their journey, I, I, I try to explain, like, find somebody who can relate to what you're going through and you can be in this journey together because you don't want to do it alone and you don't want to feel like, because when you're going through it, you could feel like you're the only one in the world that's going through it and you're the, no one else could possibly understand, but there is people out there. And so there's ways to reach out to people um, to get that support. So I'm really glad that you had a person like that to sort of support you through your journey. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest. Yeah. And even if you can't, you don't have someone right there, I would encourage someone, find someone online, like find an Instagram, find something where someone's walking the same walk so you can still feel daily encouraged. Absolutely. I love that. This has been an amazing conversation. I am still like blown away by your story and it's so inspiring and it's so special and your children just sound amazing and they're so lucky to have you as a mama. 
So, and I know I love following your journey on your Instagram um, account. So how can members of the Coffee and Grace community continually get in touch with you and stay engaged with you and your journey? Yeah, well, my Instagram is probably the best way. I'm the most active on that. So that is the bowls underscore family. We are on there probably too much, but that's where we are. That's the best way to find me. Um, The other way, especially if you just kind of want to see our daily lives, we have a daily vlog called Life is Better Together. And so those are the two best ways. With our vlog, I try really hard to let people see that we're not as cute as we are online. (laughs) There's a little more real Mm -hmm. moments. Your vlog is great. Yeah, I really love it. I checked it out. I really do enjoy it. So I will make sure I um, include those social media accounts and your YouTube vlog on the show notes so you can directly link to Amanda and get in touch with her. I encourage you to follow her journey. You will laugh at her Instagram stories and she's just and you'll she posts lots of photos of her beautiful family so you will not be disappointed by getting in touch with her so Amanda do you have anything else that you want to share today about your journey any other advice to any other woman or anything else you want to share with anyone in this community Uh, I think I've shared most of it. I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. And hopefully my story is able to inspire someone out there that it may be in the depths of the trenches of motherhood or infertility right now. Well, I'm sure it has. And like I said, I will make sure I share Amanda's contact information. So if you would like to reach out to her personally, I'm sure she'd be more than willing to, to chat with you a little bit more if you have any questions about the foster and adoption process. Even the IVF process. It's <laughs> yeah, there is everything under the sun in our story. So we are. Definitely. It's a beautiful story. I just want to take this time and thank you all for listening. And thank you again to Amanda for being so open and honest and sharing your story with the entire Coffee and Grace community. Like I mentioned earlier, this is episode one of a six episode podcast series called Journey to Motherhood. Each week, I get the opportunity to sit down with women in this community and hear their personal stories to motherhood, and then share those stories with all of you. Each episode will be released weekly on Thursdays, and my hope is that by sharing these stories, it provides some hope to those who are going through their own hard journey. And for those of you that had a difficult road to motherhood, I hope it makes you feel more connected to these women who truly understand the strength, patience, and love it takes to build your family. If you enjoyed listening to our conversation today, be sure to listen next Thursday for episode two of Journey to Motherhood. Take care and have a great day.